The Mainland Podcast is back. Hi, everybody. Michael Citro here uh, for our themainland.com, the presenter of this particular podcast. Joining me is Andrew Harrison, one of our senior columnists. Andrew, uh, how's it going? It's going pretty good. It's been a while since we did this, but we have plenty to get through, so I'm excited to get started. Yeah, that's right. This is our our you know our monthly off season schedule. There's there's not really a need to do one weekly. There's not enough news coming out, generally speaking, to do one every week in the off season. So we do these monthly. This is our December edition, and uh, very very excited to have uh, Orlando Pride head coach Tom Sermani as our as our guest coming up in just a bit. Uh, if you're just joining us, you'll definitely want to stick around for that. Andrew, since we last spoke, quite a bit of news. Uh, out of Orlando City, and uh, most of it in the form of saying goodbye to people. Um, you know, we've got uh, some players that were that their options were not picked up. We've got uh, GM Paul McDonough, and uh, just as of today, the day that we're recording this, Ian Fuller, assistant coach, has been let go. And I guess I'm going to start this podcast, which is uh, episode 37. Um, Going to start this one off talking a little bit about the players that Orlando City has opted not to bring back. Of course, the the big name on that list is Tally Hall, goalkeeper, starting goalkeeper. Of course, he suffered a knee injury late in the season. It was a meniscus problem, not thought to be serious, but obviously at uh, his age and having uh, knee problems in back-to-back years, Maybe and at his uh, cost, maybe uh, the club deciding to go another way. Several other veterans not re-signed uh, or not brought back. Lewis Neal, Eric Avila, uh, Danny Mwanga, uh, defender Corey Ash, uh, uh, goalkeeper Josh Ford, youngster Cindy Rivera, who never really quite got going, and uh, Adam Bedell, who was picked up uh, during the summer transfer window, loaned out, and then uh, basically let go. So basically throwing away a draft pick for that one. Um, and I will talk a little bit about Paul McDonough, but I think that the Adam Bedell thing is probably tied to the McDonough uh, decision. And uh, I want to just get your thoughts on these guys that were not brought back. Any surprises there? Um, I'm actually going to say I wasn't really truly surprised with any of them. I think, you know, you kind of covered some of them. Um, some of them were purely money-based decisions. Some of them were completely performance-based decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, tally. I'm going to say wasn't that much of a surprise for me. I did have that initial wow, you know, earth-shaking moment, but then I realized, you know, two knee injuries, this one non-contact on turf with a high salary cap just didn't make sense. And also you have to remember Earl Edwards Jr. has come along a lot better than I think people were expecting. So that's a good, solid performance from the team and having the ability to spot talent at a young mm-hmm. age. Um, Mwanga was obviously not a surprise. Ford wasn't really a surprise. It spent most of the season on loan in Fort Lauderdale with the NSA, NASL. Um, mm-hmm. Casio, same thing. Injury problem, just not happening. Um, Avila and Ash, I mean, I think we kind of knew that Ash was on his way. He didn't travel to Brazil. We also mm-hmm. knew that he had some really high salary cap. Avila was potentially the one surprise for me, especially with them letting Lewis Neal go. I thought that he had a good um, team fit for the guys. Maybe he's off the field, but then could play that sub role and those fresh legs when you need him for those final 25, 30 minutes of the game. Um, otherwise, 
I, I mean, I feel like we're building a team that allows us to grow forward and grow, not stay in a team that doesn't make the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think I was a little surprised by Tally Hall just because I, I was, I, I think Earl Edwards Jr. acquitted himself well in U.S. Open Cup play and in friendlies, but there wasn't a trust level enough to give him games in MLS. And that told me that maybe they didn't think he was quite ready. And for for now to to suddenly say, yeah, he's ready. We're going to get rid of Tally Hall and maybe bring up bring in a, a veteran that can either compete for the number one job or be the backup tells me something completely different entirely. Yeah. Um, and I think, but, sorry, just to expand on that, and then we've also seen McMath go and uh, Dan Kennedy from Dallas, two people that we could have easily picked up for pretty low numbers against the salary cap. And those guys have come off the market pretty quickly early on in the offseason. So I think it is interesting that hopefully the club does have a plan for that veteran guy. Yeah, I'm not sure what Kennedy's cap hit was off the top of my head, but I thought he was a little bit expensive last year. Um, but anyway, Tally Hall is uh, is going to be playing his trade elsewhere, also getting rid of Josh Ford. That's not a surprise. Josh has been you know, a guy who's had, had trouble to get MLS games and wouldn't have gotten any this year if not for an injury to Hall late in the season. Um, it would seem that Earl Edwards Jr. and, and as yet to be named a uh, veteran will probably battle for that number one spot. Uh, you, of course, we've reported on the um, Benfica uh, system player who came in, Thierry Graca, who played in the uh, Brazil friendly, um, you know, probably will be announced in the winter window as a signing. And I'm not sure what they do with him um, because they have some young goalkeepers they can they can stick over at uh, Orlando City B. Uh, but maybe he gets games there. Maybe he alternates with uh, young Mason Stadohar. Um I'm a little bit surprised Lewis Neal was not brought back. I mean, his, his cap number is a little high. Maybe they decided they would uh, not pick up the option and try to re-sign him at a cheaper uh, rate. But uh, as of 11 o'clock today, the, the, the day to re-sign your own players is, uh, has passed. Um, and then there was some talk that possibly he was – in talks with coming back to the team in another capacity, potentially as a uh, coach, maybe at Orlando City B, uh, or maybe uh, based on what happened today with Ian Fuller as an assistant coach <laughs> with Orlando City. Um, it, and that's why Eric Avila wasn't a surprise to me because I thought Lewis Neal would be back. Uh, no surprise, Danny Mwanga. He could not even get in the 18 when there wasn't enough healthy bodies to even have an 18 yeah. sometimes. <laughs> Uh, Sidney Rivera, like I said, couldn't even get USL games. Uh, Adam Bedell is a little bit of a surprise um, since uh, it looked like the team wanted to try to turn him over, like get him some exposure over in uh, Scandinavia and sell him. That's obviously either they couldn't find a buyer or they just decided to cut their losses there. And uh, Corey Ash, again, a little expensive uh, for his age and um, team can can go in different directions there. Tony Cassio, also another player who won't be back. He's out of contract. Not a surprise. He's they're talking about him having one of those types of injuries that, you know, basically forces an early retirement. Mm-hmm. So uh, so let's talk about the exercise, the options that were exercised. Earl Edwards Jr., we talked about him. Uh team is also bringing back Luke Bowden and Seb Hines. Uh, midfielders uh, Servando Carrasco, Darwin Saren, Kevin Molino, and Harrison Heath, and forward Pedro Ribeiro. Are you surprised by any of those coming back? I'm going to say no. I mean, I think when we look at the 
the core of those guys. You know, Bowden had a great first MLS season, and I think he is really one of those core guys, even though we talk about people like Fuller and Neil moving on. Um, Hines, I'm really excited. I think that kind of locks up our three guys at center back, so we've got some coverage. We can move some people around. Um, hopefully we won't have the 2016 injury hit season that we did this season. Uh, Carrasco, obviously not of course, they were going to pick him up with the pride signings that occurred. Um, Seren, I think he really showed that they wanted to lock him down because um, he's a player for the future. Molino didn't really get a fair shake in 2015 due to such a, a bad injury early on. They really mm-hmm. want to see how that relationship with Kakar can continue developing. Maybe make Kakar even better player than he was this season. Um, Harrison Heath... Um, not a shock. I think I'm going to see him a lot of spend the time in OCB, but he wanted to mm-hmm. have that MLS contract so that they can move him back and forth. Um, sure. Ribeiro, I guess he's my biggest surprise. I'm not too sure he did enough to warrant a new contract, but they like the Brazilian guys, and he had that part to play, and when we needed him, he came up big, and he changed games for us. So if it's a low number, it makes sense. But time will tell whether or not it was the right decision. Yeah, he wasn't making a ton of money, and um, if he's one of your 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 last guys on your bench, I think that's a pretty strong team. If you you know if you can have a Pedro Ribeiro on the bench that maybe struggles to get into that eighteen, not you don't want him to be the guy starting or the first replacement, first option. You want him to be a depth guy, and so if they can make that happen, it'll it'll be a pretty nice uh, roster. But it, it remains to be seen who's going to take the place of those that have departed. Uh, we do know that already under contract for 2016, Aurelian Collin will be back. Connor Donovan, David uh, Mateos, Breck Shea, Tommy Redding, Tyler Turner, and Rafael Ramos. Uh, Kaká, of course, Chris Nagita, Estrella, uh, Adrian Vinter, Carlos Rivas, Brian Rochez, and Kyle Laren. And I actually spoke to Tommy Redding's dad today, but I didn't um, talk to him under the guise of that this was going to be for the show. So although he said some interesting things to me, and I enjoyed our conversation very much. I'm not going <laughs> to be able to get into those details, but it was it was it was pretty good. It was um, basically Tommy's. Uh, I guess the 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 clean version is Tommy's very excited about the 2016 season and what his role will be with the club. So um, let's move on to to GM Paul McDonough. I think when they brought in Chief Soccer Officer Armando uh, Carnero, the writing was on the wall. Paul McDonough was going to be on the way out. Um, looked at it as a demotion, as he probably probably should have. And today it was announced he will be the uh, director uh, over at uh, Atlanta United FC. What do you think of this move, uh, both from a club perspective and from a Paul McDonough perspective? From a club perspective, I'm actually probably going to go against the grain here a little bit and say that this is probably a good decision. Um, McDonough was a starter franchise guy. I think that was proven with the Atlanta United announcement today. He is a guy who can come in with a blank, almost a blank slate, really, in terms of MLS for Orlando City, and put give that knowledge that is needed for the Super Draft, the expansion draft, and have that wealth of knowledge available. Whether or not he's the same kind of guy as a um, Goth logger away for you know Real Salt Lake and Seattle Sounders. I'm not too sure that was the guy we needed going forward. We have to continue to grow people from the academy. We have to continue to develop 
identify foreign talent. And I think that picking up Canero from an arena like Benfica, that is one of the greatest supported clubs in the world that has a really outstanding academy, this makes sense from a club perspective. And the flip side of that is McDonough already has a new job. He obviously knew that that was going to happen. Maybe the club should have done a better job with linking up those two announcements so that it seemed a little bit less, oh my God, he's gone, let's all panic, let's develop a problem with our supporters. Um, I think this is a good decision. I think this is a good, strong future-building decision before McDonough gets too entrenched and before people allow people to see that we're willing to make changes. We've gone through our first season. We've reviewed people's roles and responsibilities and what they can do, and we're getting a good change for 2016 and the growth that we need to have. Yeah, I thought overall Paul McDonough did a, f- a fine job as GM of Orlando City. He he put together a team that was competitive all year that could have made the playoffs had it stayed healthy. Um, he went and got the pieces necessary during the summer window uh, when we saw where the, the deficits were on the team and uh, filled those holes with Adrian Venter and, and David Mateos and guys like that, brought in a Corey Ash. Um, I think that he wasn't, obviously wasn't infallible. I've seen a lot of well, not a lot. I, I guess I've seen some fans on Twitter that were pretty up in arms about, you know, uh, him leaving uh, and being forced out in their view. Um, but I, I think there were areas that we could have done better. And, and one of those areas I thought was the expansion draft. I think you look at the, the players from that expansion draft that are still on the team, yeah. if if you can find them. And, and that tells you a lot right there about, you know, what what the you know city was able to get out of that expansion draft. And I think that there were players there they could have could have uh, been more useful uh, than what we selected. And, um, you know, again, you, we don't know what backdoor trades or, or agreements were in place for don't take this guy and we'll help you out with something else down the road. And some of those favors, you know, we may never know what they are, and some of them may never happen now that McDonough's gone. But um, that was an area I felt like that, that the club could have done better under Paul McDonough. But he, he did a, you know, I would say, you know, if I were rating his, his performance – to this point, I think he was certainly a good solid B. Uh, I thought he did a fine job for Orlando City. I think that your, your comment about the super, the expansion draft is actually, you know, kind of what MLS highlighted a few months ago is that they're thinking about getting rid of the expansion draft. It's because, mm-hmm. you know, we, we can say that he was able to bring in some people, but we know that times have certainly changed and those people are pretty much moving on. And I think that really goes down to the quality and the mechanism of the expansion draft over McDonough. And like you say, it's a non-transparent way of acquiring players, so we don't know what happened, but I think you have to give him props for being the guy who almost made it to the playoffs in his first season. Mm-hmm. And there were, there were some, obviously, there were some good moves in there, too. They took uh, Jaleel Anibaba in the expansion draft, used him as part of the deal to get um, Aurelian Collin, and as you know, Sporting Kansas City did not uh, pick up the option on Ani Baba, so um, you know that was a piece that we weren't going to probably get a lot of mileage out of anyway. So uh, that was a good move, and it, you know there were good moves and bad moves. I mean, you know, in the long run, I guess you could say Sean St. Ledger was a bad move. Maybe uh, there was you know certainly some guys that came in and didn't get done, like uh, you know Paulo Andre. Uh, so there were some there were some 
stumbles, but I think, you know, overall, like I said, a good solid B. Um, and, you know, maybe he was, again, maybe the, the, the Adam Bedell thing, uh, you know, since they were turning the page on Paul McDonough, maybe they decided to turn the page on, on Adam Bedell and just, you know, start fresh there uh, and open up that spot. Let's turn our attention to Ian Fuller, uh, assistant coach, uh, longtime player coach uh, in Orlando with the USL side, uh, right-hand man to, to Adrian Heath. By all accounts, a good man, well-liked by the players. Um, reason to panic, getting rid of an assistant coach? No. I mean, assistant coaches disappear from teams all of the time. Okay, yes, you look at the big teams in the EPL, they've had the same assistant coach for forever, but it, it's not. It's not who's behind the coach. It is the head coach that ultimately makes all the decisions. The coaching staff are a part of that. But we do have Mark Watson, who has a lot of MLS experience, both as a head coach, as an assistant coach. Um, I think the biggest surprise for me um, with the fact that Fuller was pretty much a player manager from about 2012 um, onwards with Orlando City is that he's not transitioning to Orlando City B. Um, feel like his experience in the league as a player as well as a player coach would have been really helpful for this franchise, mm -hmm. especially in this new season and with a brand new head coach in Anthony Pulis. Um, it, it doesn't, it doesn't give me a moment to panic. I think this is once again, another one of those moves where we don't know what goes behind on closed doors. We don't get to see every single training session. This may just be something that, Heath and Canero and the entire front office decided it was a good move, and it was a good move heading into the next set of mechanisms for acquiring players. Yeah, and, and as you mentioned, it's not knowing what's going on behind the scenes, and you know there there shouldn't be a transparency with this where this is concerned. It's club club business, yep. and they should handle it the way that they see fit. And we don't know, you know, maybe they said. We'd like to maybe bring in somebody else and have you go to Orlando City B and maybe, you know, maybe Fuller didn't want to do yep. that. Maybe they decided they wanted to bring in somebody else, but they didn't want to transition Fuller so as not to undermine Anthony Pullis. Um, that could have been a consideration as well. Um, I wouldn't read anything into this as this being this big, bad Benfica guy coming in and cleaning house. Um, in my experience in professional sports, general managers don't come in and tinker with the assistant coaches. If they come in and want to make a change, they just go right to it and replace the head coach. So my thought is that this was probably a group decision. We don't know what it's based on. We're not necessarily entitled to that yep. explanation. This is, this is their deal. It's not a, it's not a public company. So this is, this is their deal and then they'll, they'll run it how they see fit. Uh, in the long run, I don't think it's, uh, a huge reason to get upset no matter how well liked Ian Fuller uh, is. It's, you know, I, I think about the assistant coaches around the MLS and I go, how many can I actually name? You know, yep. not a whole lot. <laughs> so, uh, so it's not, to me, it's, it's, it's a minor move. Um, it is a talking point because Ian Fuller has been with the club so long, but um, you know, uh, the club needs to do what it has to do to move forward. And if they feel this is the, the right move to make to get better, then that's what they should do. And again, maybe that spot goes to Lewis Neal starting this year. We don't know. We don't know who they're going to bring in, but obviously until we know who that replacement is, we won't know what we're trading for, whether it's a trade up or a trade down or just a lateral move. And, and yeah, and I think that, you know, a lot of people want to say, well, you know, this is all Canero's doing. 
It's not. This is a team that, and a front office, that does everything in a coordinated way. This isn't one guy making an oligarchy in his, the Orlando City front office. This is calculated decisions based on the next stage and what we saw from this year. This is all evidence-based. Everything we've ever done, the, the Jamie Watson transfer in the Brian Burke situation, you know, all of those things were based on decisions from everything that happened throughout the year, injuries, performance levels. This is just another stage in that. And you also have to remember that before this, other than coaching Orlando City in the USL, he had no other coaching experience. This this Mm -hmm. is something where we're now serious. We're now talking about a lot more money and a lot more player identity. I mean, we've just seen the growth of MLS. It's now time to potentially get real and to bring in people that know the game inside out. And I'm not saying he didn't know that, but you have to have that potential level of coaching experience that comes from also having five, ten years elsewhere. I mean, we Mm -hmm. saw that with Samani coming in as the head coach of the Pride, a guy who has 30 years' worth of managerial experience, seems to make sense. And we don't know if, you know, Canero could have had a chance in being a part of that. Everything that they do, I think, is is very good and very structured. And, and it hasn't once caused me to panic or be upset with the moves that this team is making. Fair enough. And you said the magic word for the segue, Tom Sermani. So why don't we bring in this month's special guest? All right, we're very happy uh, this particular episode of the Mainland Podcast to welcome to the program none other than Orlando Pride head coach Tom Smarney. Uh Tom, how's it going? It's going really well, yeah. I mean, I think the the only downside at the minute is you kind of feel that you're, you're sitting on your hands, you know, desperate to get started and get the team up and running and get out on, uh, on the soccer field and work with players. But... Uh, um, Outside of that, things are, are moving along really, really well. That's great. I'm really happy to have you on. I've, I've got so many questions for you, but I wanted to start with, you know, the team building process in and of itself. I mean, you've been a, a part of building several teams across different layers of soccer. What is it? What is the difference, and what are the inherent, um, specific, uh, unique uh, challenges when it comes to building an expansion NWSL side? Well, it's probably a little bit more complex than uh, than any other any other team building process in a sense. Uh, firstly, from the fact that you're obviously starting from scratch, have got absolutely no no players whatsoever, and and no sort of feeder system to actually bring players in. So that that's the the major complexity, and also that uh, you're you're dealing in a, a marketplace that is that isn't. A free marketplace. I think the the US is unique in in soccer and other sports in the sense that they have the draft system and that that clubs still retain players players rights even when when out of contract. So so things in the US and, and putting a new team together here is a little bit more complex than it perhaps would be in any other part of the world. So let me ask you, Tom. Then what? brought you back to club soccer with all those complexities, especially in the U.S. system, what enticed you to become the head coach for the Orlando Pride, especially during its expansion season? 
Oh, the excitement of doing that because the actual chance of even although you've got restrictions and constraints, um, the actual opportunity to put a team together and put your stamp in the team and to start, start something from scratch is, is really is, is quite unique and uh, and it's something that's quite exciting. So so that was that was a that was the first attraction to the job. Uh, the second attraction was that it was Orlando City, and uh, you know I had met Phil before when I was a US women's national coach and, and had an insight to what this club is about and, and in many ways it's a you know, it's probably one of the best club environments that you could ever hope to work in. Um and it's an ambitious club it, it wants to do well and and the women's team is a very important part of it. So when you put the you put those things together then um that that was a great attraction. Also that uh, it's been some time since I've been in, in, in club soccer um and uh it, and it's good to get back there again you know i've never if if you look i think if you look at my sort of c v in my career i've actually you know done a, a multitude of, of different kinds of jobs you know uh different cultural environments and likes of japan etc uh men's men's soccer women's soccer youth soccer competitive soccer international foot soccer so you know that the the actual, um, you know, for me, I, I'm, I'm not, I don't like to kind of pigeonhole, pigeonhole myself in one particular either type of type of job. So you know, it's it's all about the job for me, and I, I love the the variety in that sense. So coming to Orlando was a was a great opportunity and and one that I, I couldn't turn down. Um, and you know, as I say, starting a new club is exciting, and and in many ways. Um, you know, I was involved just after the start of the WUSA back in the early 2000s, um, and and also with the Australian national team when I when I came back into that job at the beginning of 2005, we had actually moved from Oceania into Asia, and that needed a whole different set of planning, different types of players, and different program put in place entirely. So I've had some experience in sort of if you like, starting up programs or starting up teams. Tom, you've got a, a wealth of experience at the international level, um, you know, the, the Australian, U.S. And, and Canadian national teams, and, and that's given you a, a very good look at, at players all over the world. And that's come into play recently with, with two new defenders for the Pride, uh, Steph Catley from Australia and Monica out of uh, Brazil. What can you tell uh, Pride fans about these two new players and what they bring to the squad? Well, I think firstly, Monica, um, you know, it's like um, it's about bringing good players to the team, and you know, there are very few bad Brazilian players. <laughs> you know, the, the great thing and the great the great thing that they bring to the game is is almost a, a men's understanding of of how to play, how to play foot, how to play soccer, um, and so we we get that with Monica. I think we'll get someone. A player who really wants to do well, who has probably floated around a little bit and needs somewhere to come to really fulfil her potential, and I think Orlando can provide that that for her. You know, very good defender and a very good soccer player. And um, Steph Catley, for me, Steph Catley is one of the best left backs in the world. Yeah, I brought her into the Australian national team. I think it was just after the 2011 World Cup, um, and uh, you know, as a 17, 18 year old, 
and just right away her 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 impact in the team was almost instantaneous. She has, you know, superb athletic ability. Uh, she gets forward. She can defend. Uh, obviously, left-sided, um, and so she brings that that energy, that skill set, and and also got a great character. So, uh, and has had a fantastic season at Portland last year. I think I was funny enough. I, <laughs> I caught up. I'm back in the UK at the moment, and I caught up uh, with Mark Parsons, the new um, <laughs> the, the new coach up at Portland. Um, at, at Heathrow the other day, he was flying out, and I went over to catch up with him. And he's saying he's taken a lot of stick amongst the supporters at Portland because they've lost Steph Catley. So I'm really delighted about that. <laughs> well, and we know you have specific sets of tactics and we're starting to see a roster being put together. Um, what kind of football do we expect to see in this expansion season from the people that we've got right now and what you are going to tactically put out there for the field going forward and can we expect to see an exciting game of football that Orlando City fans are used to? Very much so. I mean there's no point in coming to a club like this if you're going to play a kind of a kind of football that you want to try not to lose a game as opposed to trying to win a game and uh, you know I think if you look historically at my kind of philosophy and track record I've always been about trying to build teams that go out and play a brand of football that is about winning games, um, not about you know trying to stifle games or stifle players. Uh, and we want to play an expansive brand of uh, an expansive brand of soccer. And I think we've, as I say, you have limitations to the players that you could sign. But I think when you look at some of the players that we've got, Leanne Sanderson, uh, Sarah Hagen, Alex Morgan, three outstanding international attacking players. When you look at Steph Catley, hopefully, um, and I'm hopefully I'm not speaking out of turn here. You've got to be careful in the US of what you say and what you can't say. But <laughs> hopefully, we're getting a, a Canadian player who will be a, an equivalent to Steph Catley on the right hand side and have really two, you know, dynamic attacking players uh, on the flanks. Um, so you know, we we're a team that that wants to go out there, make an impact, win games and entertain the fans at Orlando City, because that's what they want. Yeah, sure do. Uh, Coach, you know, you touched on the international players, and I wanted to, you know, kind of get your, your thoughts on the strategy in, in getting the best players available and still covering, you know, the team when those international breaks come. It, it's a balance. I mean, and, and it's, a, it's a bit of a risk one way or another. Um, you know, what what, you know, when we talked about, what we want to do is thought, well, do you really want to compromise the team? You know, ne- next year's an Olympic year, so so that's always going to be difficult. And it's probably going to be difficult for all of the teams. Um, so I think what we essentially want to do is try and put the best team together that we can. Then when it comes to times where um, we're losing players to international games, then... We just need to work a little bit harder. I just need to do my job a little bit better. And we need to trust the other players that we've signed. And I, and I think that's important because it is a squad game. And it's important that we don't just rely on, you know, the so-called name players or the international players. But we've also, you know, I think when you look at the core of some of the the players that we've signed domestically, I think those are players that we can really develop 
and he'll go in and do well whenever they're required to go in and do well. So, you know, I think the key thing is to try and get the best team we can get for Orlando City. And then when the international, you know, games and breaks come along, we worry about that at that time. Um, you also talked about earlier on about trying to develop people. Um, have you been happy with the, the structure that Orlando City is setting up? We have got a very good youth academy that is helping develop the game. Are you excited to be a part of helping generate the next level of Orlando Pride players for this city and the league in general? Very much so. You know, I've never been... Um, I think if you're the, the head coach of a, a club you're not just in charge of one team. You're in charge of the whole the whole structure in relation to women's women's football in this club. You know, and I see that as I see part of my job is being involved with the with the youth team and the youth setup. The the unfortunate thing in, in the US not it's not unfortunate, I don't that's probably the wrong expression. The different thing in the US compared to any other country in the world, again, is that you have a college system where you know, you can develop your players to 17, 18. But then, particularly in female soccer, at this stage in its development, the players are going to go to college, so you're going to lose them for four years. So it's unfortunately you can't actually take the structure all the way through from, you know, whenever you start under whatever it is, 10s, 9s, 8s, take it all the way through and then develop players that come straight into your first team. Um, Hopefully in time, and, and if the women games women's league continues to develop hopefully that that might happen like it does in the MLS so you're not going to get quite get that continuity however I think it's very important part of the job for us to develop uh, develop players in our youth academy and then hopefully they'll go to college and then come back to us Tom uh, on the men's side Orlando City head coach Adrian Heath is well known for for favoring his 4-2-3-1 formation. Do you have a preferred formation and, and tactical style? No, I, I honestly don't. I mean, I've always been, I think there's, simplistically, there's kind of two kinds of coaches. One that has a particular system of play. Um, I'm probably more of a, a, a coach that has a, a philosophical way of playing and then work the system and the structure into that way of playing and that's often dependent on the players you have at the time. So I think for me what we'll be doing is we'll be looking at, at the players we have, the strengths that we have and then decide whether we play the, like 4-2-1-3 you know, or 4-4-2 or, or whatever within the players that we've got and then develop that style of play. And I think, you know, to, to be honest, you, you, you have a you have a style of play, but any time you watch a, a modern day game, you know, the four two one three can can turn into a four five one, can turn into a four three three, can then turn into a four four two. So, you know, the I, I think um it's about putting your your general structure in place and then being able to to work that and your philosophy all together so that the system doesn't need to be so defined in one particular way or another. Um, and kind of, uh, to get a little bit of an expansion on that, um, what do you think are some of the biggest differences between men and women's soccer? Obviously, we're going to have a lot of people who are new to women's soccer this year, and especially following the Pride. What do you think they need to watch out for between the men's and the women's game? 
Uh, I mean, I think that, I mean the first difference is obviously the the, the tempo of play isn't in, isn't as quick in the women's game, um, but there are some you know it, it's, there's there, there are some subtle differences between it. In, in general, I mean, I've got a philosophy now in the elite level in women's in women's football is that your expectations of a player on on the soccer field are exactly the same. You know how you want to play, how you expect him to play, etc. Um, the women's game's probably not quite as sophisticated as the men's game, but there's some advantages to that in the sense that you know the men's game at times becomes so sophisticated that teams cancel each other out, and it become can become a little bit you know tied down tactically and drab. The women's game has still got that kind of honesty and freshness about it that players actually go out there and really have a go. And I think that's a, a huge asset uh, of the women's game, you know. And in many ways, female players are a lot tougher than the male players. Uh, it's very rare in the women's game that you actually see a player going down, and um, and if she does go down, you know that she's actually hurt and is actually injured. So there's a greater honesty about the women's game. There's a greater competitiveness, honest competitiveness about it. But it probably just does at times lack a little bit of the sophistication at the men's game, the stage that the men's game reached now. Tom, before we let you go, uh, just one get your final thoughts on, on how many more players you're going to be looking for and how many you think you can get in the uh, college draft. Well, if you know, we've just about completed a few deals that, that will bring us up to 17 of our, our 20 players, and then we've still got one international spot left. So, um, so pretty much we've, we've done. You know, Paul O'Donnell has uh, Tom, Paul McDonnell has helped me big time, and helped me get a roster together that we are really, really happy with. So we're, we're getting close, and then you know, with a couple of players that we'll bring in in the preseason, and then look through the college draft, then we should fill our roster quite easily. Um, so as I say, it's just putting the finishing touches to the squad because I'm really, really happy with the players that we've actually got in place at the moment. Orlando Pride head coach Tom Sermoni, uh it's been uh, just a delight having you. I really, really appreciate your time, and, and we hope to have you on again in the future. It'd be a pleasure. Anytime. Thank you. Well, Andrew Harrison, uh, that just about does it for podcast episode 37. Uh, presented by TheMainland.com. I uh, really want to thank uh, Orlando Pride head coach Tom Sermani for uh, giving us some of his valuable time. Uh, he is over in the U.K. as we recorded that, and uh, it's a lot later over there than it was here. Uh, so we appreciate him. Uh, you know, Great interview. Really happy to have him on. Uh, very personable, and, and um, I just really enjoyed that. Yeah, it was it was great to be able to talk to him, and I think we got a little bit of an insight into what Pride is going to be playing next year, and potentially even an insight into a new signing, hopefully. Yeah, it's uh, it's going to be exciting from here on out. Very exciting as uh, this podcast is going to land around the time we find out whether or not Orlando City picked anybody in the second phase of the reentry draft. Uh, we've got the Super Draft coming up, and we've got the Pride's uh, college draft coming up, the NWSL college draft coming up. Uh, a lot of more off-season dealings, wheelings and dealings to happen. 
We're going to probably find out who that new assistant coach is going to be by the next time we record one of these in January. And um, it's been a very exciting offseason so far, as they, they always are, and uh, we'll have plenty to talk about next month. Andrew, what is the... What, what are you most looking forward to the rest of this offseason? Um, I'm excited about the Super Draft. I think that there's some great talent out there. Um, I know. I feel like if I was to really look at it, we've already given up a lot of our picks for this draft. But there is some good talent out there, and it will be interesting to see, especially with a new guy running the front office, um, the kind of wheeling and dealing that potentially gets done. But I think I'm actually excited about the stuff that we don't yet know about think the team has a lot of stuff in the works that are mm. outside of the regular super draft um, and just general trade window. Um, I think the targeted allocation money could make it a very exciting offseason for somebody that we haven't yet even considered as being an acquisition for Orlando City. Yeah, I'm looking forward mainly to see if this team adds a designated player in the uh, transfer window. Um, that to me is going to be the m- most exciting part of the offseason is finding out what those where those players come from. Now that we've got a new, uh, basically a general manager, they call him the chief soccer officer. But it'll be interesting to see what talent he can pull in uh, when we get together next month. There's so much to talk about. There'll be the Florida Cup. Uh, obviously, that will be taking place in January. There's uh, teams from all over the world coming to Orlando to play. We're going to have coverage of that at the mainland. Very excited about what's going on at themainland.com. We've got a bunch of new writers that we that brought on board November, December. We're going to have people dedicated to covering Orlando Pride, covering Orlando City B. And uh, we've also added Daniel Bird, who has um, been doing tremendous coverage for us on the U.S. men's and women's national teams. He's going to continue to do that. We might bring in a second person uh, to help with that. And, um, you know, just very excited about what's going on at the site. We hope that you, uh, those that listen to the mainland podcast, we hope you're reading our stories at themainland.com and following us on Twitter at, at the mainland. That's M A N E, not M A I N. And, um, you know, we, uh, will be back in January and we're going to, uh, hopefully have a whole lot of exciting <laughs> new players to talk about. And, uh, we'll, we'll try to have another awesome guest because, it's going to be hard to top Tom Sermani because the man has been a legend in, in coaching circles for quite some time. He's been head coach of multiple national teams and also uh, was an assistant with Canada as well. So uh, it was great to have his expertise here on the Mainland Podcast. Very excited about that. Andrew, any final thoughts before we uh, let our listeners go until January? Uh, hopefully Orlando City fans get what they want for Christmas. And if it's a player, then that would be great. If it's uh Something else, well, that's fine, too. <laughs> yeah, I was looking back last year around this time to see what uh, sort of transpired, and it was around this time last year that uh, Carlos Rivas was announced, that Breck Shea was announced, and a couple of other signings. So this is a, a good time of year to head into with the winter window opening up, and uh, we're, we're going to be here to cover it all for you. So uh, we will be back in January with the next Mainland Podcast off-season extravaganza. So on behalf of Andrew Harrison, our entire mainland staff, I am Michael Citro saying, Go City!